right now as well. Uh, this morning, um, we're continuing our way through our series, uh, The Foundation of the Church. And um, as we're looking at selected passages and acts, and we, we've, been, we, we've seen the, the mission of the church, that, that mission to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, uh, to the very ends of the earth. And, and as, you start, as we trace our way, just even through those very early book of Acts, something happens that's incredible. Very quickly, um, what started as a small group begins to grow and begins to grow exponentially. In Acts 1, we see in Jerusalem 120 followers of Jesus. Okay? But by the end of, uh, of Acts 2, there are 3,000 followers of Jesus. In Acts 4, it tells us that there are 5,000 male followers of Jesus, which then we can start doing math and... Uh, who knows the exact number, 10, maybe 15,000 uh, believers by Acts 4. And then as we get to our passage this morning in Acts 6, where we're going to be, the, the churches continue to grow. We don't even know how large it is at this time. But that church right there in Jerusalem has grown and has grown exponentially in just a few short days or weeks. Um, let's look at our text this morning, Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. And we see, as we were just talking a moment ago, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we thank you for your word and um, your word that feeds us, your word that nourishes your people, that encourages us over and over again, that reminds us of your calling upon our life, that reminds us of the good news of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. Would you make your word? Come alive before us this morning, and we pray that we would see you and you only, in Jesus' name, amen. So as I was thinking about this sermon and thinking about the exponential growth of the church and then the, the kind of problem that arises out of this exponential growth, I, I couldn't help but think of the movie Jaws. Um, I'm sure that's probably the first thing that would come to your mind as well, um, but this is as good as I got this morning, so I apologize in advance. Um, there's this moment in Jaws, you know, the, the three of them, they're, they're out on the boat, you know, and, and they're out to find Jaws. Nobody's really seen Jaws yet, you know, how big is this shark? And, and Chief Brody's sitting, he, he's, he's chumming the bait, you know, he's throwing, putting these fish and stuff into the sea and all this blood and everything, just trying to attract the shark, right? Nobody's seen it yet. And then suddenly Jaws comes up out of the water at the rear of the boat. If you've seen the movie, you probably remember the scene, and, and Chief Brody looks up and he starts stumbling back, and then he says those iconic words, you're going to need a bigger boat. 
you're going to need a bigger uh, boat. Well, our passage this morning is radically different than Jaws. Um, But at the same time, there's this sense uh, of the early church, there's been this exponential growth, and and there's a need for a bigger boat, okay? There's a need for a better system, better ways to handle this growth of the church. How are we going to be able to proceed uh, forward if now there's maybe over 10,000 followers of Jesus just in Jerusalem, and it's just growing day after day? What are they going to do? They need a bigger boat. As we see in verse 1, the disciples, they were increasing in number, and this resulted in an issue. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, what's going on here? You have two different groups, right? You have the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Now, both of these groups of people were Jewish people from, you know, from birth, okay? But there's one group that grew up in Israel, and they grew up speaking Aramaic. They grew up familiar with, with, with the Hebrew language and reading the Hebrew Torah, the Hebrew Old Testament, right? But then you have this other group, the Hellenists, and these folks, they're, they're Greek-speaking. At some point or another, they were Jewish people that were scattered all over the place in the Greek-speaking world. They found themselves away from, from Israel, um, and Greek became their primary language and their primary tongue. And so actually in Jerusalem, there would be different synagogues. There would be Hebrew synagogues where, where they spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, and then there would be um, these Hellenist um, synagogues where they spoke Greek. Okay, and they, they read a Greek translation of the Old Testament, of the scriptures in their day. And so there was kind of this, they weren't competing groups, they were, they were both Jewish groups, um, but there was a linguistic barrier that was going on there. And then people from both of these groups came to Christ. Okay, and so people from both of these groups now make up this new young church in Jerusalem, but a problem arises out of this. The Hellenists come forward, the Greek-speaking ones, and they say, our, our widows, they're, they're being neglected. They're not getting the daily distribution, that is, the, however it is that they're distributing food or, or money so that people can buy food, and they're not receiving these things. Um, and so we see a pro- this problem arise. There, there's been great unity in the church, uh, but it seems like this cultural kind of barrier of language or whatever's uh, caused this issue, issue. It wasn't intentional, okay? Um, but it exposed an issue in the church, a systemic issue where they need, um, as it were, a bigger uh, boat. And we see first two, the disciples kind of talk a little bit about the reason um, that this arose. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. You see, up until this point, even with the exponential growth of the church, the apostles have been doing all the work, okay? The apostles have been administrating everything. They've been overseeing everything. And it's not as though the money isn't there, okay, to take care of these widows. That's not the problem. The problem is that the mechanisms aren't in place to take care of, of these widows, and that's why they find themselves neglected. The apostles are doing the best they can, Okay, And while the, the, the daily distribution to these widows is important, in fact, it's essential and an essential job for, that, for the church, um, the, the apostles, that wasn't their focus. That wasn't their calling. You see verse 2, the end of it, it's not right that we should give up preaching to serve tables. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Um, it might sound harsh, but I don't think it's meant to be harsh. You see, what they're doing is they're recognizing some realities that exist. 
Uh, the first reality, they just understand the, the reality of the logistics of the situation. Hey, there's only 12 of us here. And there's how many of you, and we're trying to, to preach and teach and all these things and also make sure the widows are being taken care of. It's, it's becoming too much for them. So it's the reality just of the logistics of the situation, but it's also the, the reality of their role and the reality of their calling as uh, apostles. In verse 4, they, they say that their, their calling is, is ultimately to devote themselves what? to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That's what the apostles see themselves as being called to. That's what they've been called to, and that needs to be their focus. And if they're, as this church is growing and there's all these widows and all these different things to take care of, they've got to be careful that the main thing, their main thing, the main thing of their calling, remains the main thing of their calling. So what are they going to do? What do they do? They, they, they come up with a creative solution, and we see this in verse 3. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And what they said, it pleased everybody. And so they chose the seven, and these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. So what is their solution? Their solution is to have everybody gather together, make some nominations, um, and appoint seven men to appoint seven to, to make sure that the daily distribution is taken care of to these widows. That, they're, that, the, that the mercy needs of the early church are being taken care of. This, I don't think, is just limited to, oh, we, just need, we need seven of you just to make sure the widows are taken care of. I think the, the role is actually bigger here to, to take care of all of these ministry needs, mercy ministry needs of the church and to lead the church in taking care of the needs among them, um, especially those physical um, needs. And so what do the apostles do? They ordain them. That's what we see. You saw how they, 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 they laid their hands upon them, and they prayed over them. That's the act of, of ordaining them for the service. And, and it's here that I believe we see the creation of the office of deacon. Um, in the church. These seven were, were the first deacons of the church. Now, our text doesn't just come out and say, oh, the, you know, here's the creation of, of the deacons, okay? But this is, I think, precisely what is, is going on here, is they are setting these seven apart to take care of the mercy ministry needs of the church and to lead the church in mercy ministry, Peter, just a few minutes ago, mentioned that we are about to start, in fact, today, you'll, you'll get the link in your email and stuff, where, where we're starting nominations for the office of deacon and, and the office of elder, and that's a very serious thing for us as a church and for you as you think about nominating um, somebody. certainly encourage you to focus in on the scriptures, read the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and in, in Titus 1. Um, but I wanted to just share, since we're doing this, just briefly, a little snippet about the deacons. You know, what are, what are they? What, what, what do they do? Okay, they, they do mercy ministry, um, you, but what is the real purpose? It's not an office of rule, okay? Now, our deacons don't rule the church, in a sense, but, but what do they do? They take care of the physical and the spiritual needs of the people, and they lead us then in that mercy ministry. I want to read. We have, in our denomination, we have something called the Book of Church Order, um, which is really exciting reading if you want to go to sleep at night. But 
At times, it can also be helpful, and I think it's helpful for us this morning just to give us a brief kind of overview of what in the world is it that we're asking you to nominate people to, and so this is what it says. It is the duty of the deacons to minister to those in need, to the sick and to the friendless, to any who may be in distress. It is their duty also to develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church, to devise effective methods of collecting the gifts of the people and to distribute these gifts among the objects to which they are contributed. They shall have the care of the property of the congregation, both real and personal. They shall keep in proper repair the church edifice and other buildings belonging to the congregation. Now, there's a lot of things in there, right? A lot of just taking care of a lot of the physical needs of the church, but there is a focus, and I hope you saw that focus. And that focus is, of course, leading in the ministry to the least of these leading into the ministry of those who do not have, to those who are in need, who are in want, whether that be physical or spiritual, and helping not just to go and do it on their own, though deacons certainly do that, but to lead us as a congregation, as a church, in ministering to the least of these, to those who don't have, to those who are in need. Now, there's an important point that I want to make sure we make, that just because somebody's called a deacon, it doesn't mean that their gifts don't go way beyond just that service of, of mercy. I mean, just look at one of, the, one of the gentlemen who's ordained a deacon. His name's Stephen. And in just the next chapter, in, in chapter 7, he's going to preach one of the most famous sermons in the early church. Okay? So clearly he had some gifting in the ministry of the Word. Okay? But that wasn't what he was called to primarily. That wasn't his primary focus. His primary focus in the early church was that he was called as a deacon um, in the church to be able to lead the church in mercy. And so that's why the office of deacon was created to make sure, to make sure that the daily distribution wasn't neglected. Because it's very easy for us as a church to get focused on all sorts of things and then forget to bestow mercy as Christ has bestowed so much mercy on us to give and to bring mercy um, to others. And, and the apostles, they create this as we saw in verse 4 because they needed to devote themselves to their calling. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So it, the deacons freed up the apostles to do the work that they needed to do. Now, today, that this office of apostle, it doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's no longer a thing. That was only something in the very early church. These were, were people who were actually, in a sense, pupils of Jesus, um, who were appointed as apostles to, to start the early church in those early um, days. Um, but this is where we want to kind of ask the question, well, what about elders? How do elders kind of come into uh, the picture? Um, kind of like the deacons, the office of elder isn't just mentioned uh, boldly as to where the office of elder is created. In fact, Acts 11 is the first mention of elders in the church, and it's just mentioned as an aside, as something that exists. It doesn't tell us how it was created or anything like that. We just, there are, some churches already have elders, um, and it's a wonderful thing. Uh, the next mention we find in Acts 14, and this is where, where Paul is, is going around um, in his church planting efforts. And what does it say he did? 
um, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So what is he doing? As he's going from place to place, they're appointing elders over these new churches. We see this pattern in the apostles, not just appointing deacons, as you see in, in Acts 6, but also found a pattern of, of appointing elders. Elders uh, are those who would rule and who would uh, devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, kind of in a similar way to the apostles. They aren't apostles, but they're, they're kind of the, the children of them, if you will, uh, for, without going into further explanation. And, and so the, the ministry of the elders is similar. It's to rule the church, oversee the church, to shepherd the church, and to teach and preach the good news of Jesus to the church. Much as a moment ago we stopped and we talked about deacons for a minute, we need to stop and talk about elders because we're also nominating elders, right? And in our church, in our denomination, without getting too confusing, there's actually two different kinds of elders because we like to make things confusing, okay? There's teaching and ruling elders, um, I'm a teaching elder, pastors are teaching elders, and then we have ruling elders, which you would think of as like lay elders. And you might wonder, where in the world do we get such craziness from? Um, I actually think it is based in Scripture. 1 Timothy 5 tells us this. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. What we seem to have here is like the subset of elders. Do you see that? Like, there are elders... And then there are particular elders who especially labor in preaching and teaching. Okay, and so therefore we have these two, but these two different um, elders, teaching elders and ruling elders, but, they're, but at the same time they, they have the same authority. It's not like one has more power than another. When we, when we sit in a room and we make decisions, everybody has the, the same voice. One of the beauties of the way our church operates is that it operates uh, through uh, the, the plurality of the elders. Okay? There, there is no CEO. <laughs> there, there is no president who just makes all the decisions and everybody does stuff. It's as the elders gather in our church, they, they, we make the decisions together. And so let me read just briefly, what, what is the work of the elder? Um, again, from our BCO, this is what it says. And just listen to the weight of this for the men who, are, uh, who you may think of nominating as an elder. It belongs to those in the office of elder, both severally and jointly, to watch diligently over the flock committed to his charge, that no corruption of doctrine or of morals enter therein. They must exercise government and discipline and take oversight not only of the spiritual interests of the particular church, but also the church generally, when called thereunto. They should visit the people at their homes, especially the sick. They should instruct the ignorant, comfort the mourner, nourish and guard the children of the church. They should set a worthy example to the flock entrusted to their care by their zeal to evangelize the unconverted, make disciples, and demonstrate hospitality. That's a big, sweeping, and weighty office, isn't it? Um, but so that we don't get too tied up, sometimes we think about, oh, they're the ones who make the decisions for the church, okay? And they do. But I want us to make sure that we understand that that's not their primary role in a sense. It is a role. It's a part of their role. But their primary role, and I hope you saw it even when I was just reading, is their primary role is that of shepherd, okay? It's to shepherd the sheep as under-shepherds of the chief shepherd, Jesus. 
Okay? It's to care for the spiritual needs of the people, to care for the souls of people. And that's a, that's a high calling um, that, that elders are, are called to, to shepherd you, the congregation, to care for souls and to have a sense of responsibility for the spiritual health of the congregation as they shepherd the church. Now, as we think about these two offices of, of, of deacon and elder, sometimes we begin to compare them, okay? And we begin to think one is more important than another, don't we? Or, or that somehow, you know, well, the elders, you know, that's, that's really what you want to attain somehow or, or, or something like that. Um, but that's not the case. Let's just take a little bit closer look at, at Acts 6. It's very interesting. If you look at the very end of verse 1, what is it that was being neglected? It's the daily distribution, okay? Now, one of the things that we miss there in that daily distribution is literally, very literally, it's the daily diakonia, okay? Now, did you hear that word? That, that's the Greek word, but I'm sure you heard the word that it, it's very closely connected to, which is deacon, right? Um, th- this word is all about service, okay? About service and ministry. And so, what is it the deacons are doing? Is they're taking care of the daily service of the church, okay? Serving people, and that, that's what that daily distribution is, is the daily service. Now, what's also interesting, if you jump down to verse 4, where we see what the apostles are doing, and in a way, the elders by connection in the, the prayer and the ministry of the word in verse 4, right? Guess what that really says underneath there? It's the diakonia of the word, It's the service of the word. I don't think that's any mistake by Luke whenever he's writing this. Okay? Both of these roles, both of these offices, they're about service. Okay? Leadership in the church is and should be very different from leadership in the world. Do do you remember James and John? They they came up to Jesus and they said, what? Would you let one of us sit on your right and one of us sit on your left in glory? I mean, what a bold thing to go and ask Jesus for, right? Um, But they go and you ask that. But Jesus' response in Mark 10 is very telling. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. What does he say? He says, out there in the world, leaders, what do they do? They put people under their thumbs, (laughs) They'd like to rule over them and have control. But then Jesus continues, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You can only guess what word is used there, but the word deacon. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, he says, even I, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve, and to give life as a ransom for many. Here we see that same idea of service, and Jesus says, I came, you know, here he is, the God of the universe had come down to earth, and he comes to serve. You remember that incredible picture of him kneeling down and washing the grummy, dirty feet of his disciples, serving them in such a way, it's incredible. Okay, that is true leadership. That's what real leadership 
looks like. That's what leadership is, is supposed to look like in the context of the church. Not, not people in it for power, but to serve others. To love others well. We have such a tendency in our society to, to base things off of power and how much power one has. When in reality we should be basing it off of the sheer privilege. The sheer privilege that we have to serve in Christ's church, in whatever way that may be. Now, we've been talking a lot in this passage. It seems to talk a lot in a way about officers in the church. And obviously, we're nominating officers, and that's important, and that's part of the reason why we're talking about this this morning, right? It's, it's very intentional. But we need to be careful not to think for a moment that, well, the elders, the, the deacons, and then the hired folks, we have the pastors, or, or now, now we have Josh in a leading role, you know, helping lead us in, in our music ministry. Oh, well, they, they take care of things. They, they take care of the service. And we need to be careful. We need to understand that all of us are a part of the service in the church. All of us are part of serving the church body. You know, think about our families. Um, I think about my own family. Um, one of the ways that a family works well is when everybody in the family is serving, right? You know, it, we need everybody in our family. We, you know, we have five of us, and, and we need all of us working. But sometimes, especially three of the five, um, it can be more complicated to get them to do the service of the family. And maybe sometimes they grumble a little bit about it. Maybe, not usually, because our kids are really, really good. So they, they don't complain too much, and they never ask things like, am I going to get paid in any way for this? Or do I get extra video game time because I did this? You know, because so often, so much of our life, it's about us, right? It's about what am I going to get out of this? And so for you and I, we, as, as we're called to all of us, serve the church in whatever way God has gifted us, we got to be very careful that we look at it appropriately. That we don't approach it from selfish motives of, well, what am I going to get out of this? Is it going to be something that's going to bring me great enjoyment? And hopefully it will. And hopefully we find great joy. And I think we do find great joy in service. But it shouldn't be a thing that we're grumbling and complaining about because, oh, I have to do that. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of one of my favorite passages in Scripture, favorite chapter probably in Scripture is Leviticus 19. Um, and I just want to read just two verses from it real quick that I think will be helpful for us as we kind of bring all this to a close this morning. Leviticus 19, verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You might be wondering, what in the world connection does that have to our sermon this morning? But I think it has a very important one. Here are the Israelites. They're hearing these words. They're, they're, they're not even to the promised land yet, okay? They don't have vineyards yet. They don't yet have, have places that they can, you know, uh, that they can uh, reap the crops yet, okay? They don't even have that yet. God's saying, whenever you get there, this is how I want you to live, Okay? And what is he telling me he wants him to do? He says, well, when you, when you out there harvest in your fields, okay, I, I want you to leave like a margin all the way around the fields for the poor and the sojourner. For if you think of our passage this morning, for the widow. So that the widows can come 
And they can eat off that, that margin that's around your land, okay? And if you have a vineyard, what I want you to do, as you're picking those grapes, I don't want you to pick them all. And if any of them drop, definitely don't pick those up. Now, what's really interesting here is what God does not tell the Israelites. And it's the question that I would be immediately asking. You know, if I'm, if I'm the farmer out there, you know, lead my ox, I guess this is what they do, right? They, you know, you're, out there, you're leading the ox, and, and what, what do you want to know? You want to know, okay, God, how much of a margin am I supposed to leave? You know, am I good with just an inch? You know, you know, I just need to leave a margin, right? You didn't say how much, you know, or do I need to leave a foot, two foot, three feet, 12 feet? How much of a margin do I need to leave around my land? We, we begin to very quickly become legalistic with it in a sense. We, we wanted the box to be able to be checked off, right? But God doesn't tell them that. He doesn't tell them how many grapes to leave on the vine. So instead, what we see is those Israelites would be out in their fields, their heart would show, okay? As they were out in the fields, their hearts for service would begin to show. Because God didn't want them to do it of like, okay, this is a, a commandment, so I got to do this, and this is exactly how I got it. They wanted them to do it because he wanted them to be generous, and to show mercy to the least of these, to those who didn't have, okay? You, you, and you see the, the framework when he puts in it, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now, for the Israelites, a flood of emotion should come in whenever they hear that, I am the Lord your God. Because who is he? Who is this Lord their God, Yahweh? He is the one who rescued them. He rescued them and led them out of slavery, out of Egypt. He was so incredibly merciful to them. He, he brought them mercy in an incredible and unimaginable way. And so now he's saying, whenever you get to, your, whenever you get to Israel, whenever you get to the promised land, I want you to show mercy. I want you to show mercy because you've seen what mercy really looks like. Okay, it's really, it's all about the heart. God wants to grab our hearts. As you and I, as we're all called, not just people to special office in the church of, of elder and deacon, we're all called to a general office in the church, which is, is to be church members and, and to participate in the life of the church and to serve in the church. And this should come not out of obligation, it should come from the heart as we're reminded, much as the Israelites were, as we're reminded of what Christ did for us. As we're reminded of the way that He has served us, how the, the one who had every right to make all the demands in the world, He came not to be served, but to serve. He came not just washing our feet and washing the grime off of our feet, but washing away our sins, okay? And so you and I, we are all called to serve in Christ's church because of the model given to us in Christ. And, and not out of compulsion, not out of, okay, now i got to check off the box and i got to volunteer to do something in the church. But because that should be our heart's desire.
because we understand what God has done for us. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2.9. But you, you the church, but you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is who he, he calls us as the church. These are incredible words to even be placed upon us, right? They seem incredibly undeserving, but they, they in and of themselves are a reminder of what Christ accomplished on our behalf. But all of this, so that what? There's, a, there's kind of a so that, right? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Okay? We were in darkness. In the darkness of our sin. In the deadness of our sin. And he called us out into the marvelous light. Okay? Therefore, what you should be as we so that you may proclaim. You shouldn't be able to help but, but proclaim that incredible good news. Okay, and that comes in a multitude of ways in, in Christ's church. It comes through as we're, we're going to be having the, this evangelism class coming up in a, a way to help us as a church to, to know how to share the gospel, how to share the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light so that we can share that incredible good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be able to help but to do this. So, this morning, obviously we, we've talked a bit about these offices in the church, and um, yes, we're going to be taking nominations, and, and that's important, but all of us, every single one of us here, we have a part to play in this church, okay? Each one of us, each one of you, is uniquely equipped to serve in the church, Okay? It may look completely differently for each of us, but each of us is uniquely equipped, and we serve because he came not to be served, but to serve and set up the model for us. We serve because our hearts have been melted by the good news of the gospel that he has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. As a result, we begin to do things like dispense mercy. We leave margins, not to check off boxes, but we leave margins because our heart compels us because he's been so incredibly merciful to us in calling us out of darkness. We, we share the ministry of the word so that others too would know the good news of the marvelous light, that they too might be brought out of that darkness and share in his eternal kingdom. Look, some of you, we may be tempted to think, oh, well, but I don't, you know, I'll never be an elder or deacon, so this isn't, no, we're all called to serve. We, and it's not, that's not an arduous task. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that we have the opportunity to serve in Christ's church, to serve the one who has served us. Do you believe it?
Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for calling us by the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the way in which you've been so incredibly merciful and gracious to us in drawing us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light, covering over our sins through your death on the cross, giving us your incredible righteousness, adopting us into your family. The, we could go on and on just... talking about the wonder of what you've accomplished for us. But we are not called to hear all these wonderful things, bring all these wonderful things in, and not to share them with others. So, Father, would you help us to find our place in your church? That we would all see our place in your church as servants. And that we would find our place or places um, to serve you as you have so incredibly served us in Christ Jesus. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Well, now we have the opportunity and the privilege. Of, of coming to the Lord's table. Um, if you would, in just a second, or y'all can take turns kind of coming up here as I'm talking, but come up and, and grab the elements if you're going to join us this morning um, for communion. We also, over here in the little baggies, are, are some gluten-free bread. If, if you have a need for that, um, grab that. But as we come to the table um, this morning, I just want to read uh, first some words um, from the Apostle Paul, he said this. He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered over to you, that the Lord, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. <laughs> and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. And he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 